I want to talk to you today about changing the heart of a nation. Changing the heart of a nation. According to the Word of God, every individual person in this room has an autopilot. This autopilot is on the inside of you. It is talked about all through the Word. And that the beliefs that have to do with your identity have been planted and formed in what the Bible calls your heart. You will live out this identity the rest of your life. You can fight for change, but you'll never see lasting or real change until you change the beliefs of your heart. Some people think it's like the subconscious. You could kind of compare it. The subconscious simply is attached to memories that hurt or help. The heart is much greater, much more powerful. It is, it is subconscious level. It is below your conscious thinking. But according to the word, you have been taught and shown a very quick and easy way to change the beliefs of your heart and how you see yourself in relationship to God, to the future, etc. Likewise, I would say nations have a heart. That there is a core of people in a nation that that's the general thinking and the beliefs. And a nation can go wrong. Take a look at Syria. Take a look at some of the countries in the last number of years and how quickly um, a country can be beheading children. So, I'm not worried about that here. I'm just saying that a country has a heart. And we want to see the heart of that country change. Now, biblically, when you look at the Old Testament, you'll find that ten people will change an entire nation. In prayer, Abraham is interceding. God says, if you can find ten, it's going to be saved, Sodom and Gomorrah. We find over and over again, cities, provinces, entire nations change because somebody stands up. And people begin to gather around and stand for freedom, stand for righteousness instead of tyranny. And so I want to talk to you a little bit today about this thing of the heart. I believe that it's easy to change a nation. Say, well, that's a really naive statement, Pastor. Oh, actually, I didn't make it. Jesus said it. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light and I'm going to build my church and hell's not going to stop it. You know, persistence is more powerful than genius. Everybody wants a genius. Everybody wants a new leader in healthcare, figure this out. New leader in, in politics, figure this out. I want that and I'm praying for that too. I love geniuses. But persistence is more powerful. You study history and you study whoever is persistent, whatever group of people are persistent, who begins to plan and never give up and never quit, that it's persistence that begins to change the heart of a nation. You see, when you look at the church of Jesus Christ, it's amazing to me how quickly people give up on the miraculous. I mean, the Old Testament is filled with miracles. The New Testament is filled with miracles. 
The new covenant that was written in the blood of Jesus who died for us from the cross to the throne is full of miracles. But then we have people who are so smart, they go, <laughs> a miracle, right. <laughs> and the Bible says, thinking themselves wise, they became fools. Without the miraculous, the supernatural within Christianity, we'll never attract our youth to a religion. Oh, we have a way to live. This is another religion. This is a, a way to be disciplined, and this is a way to figure this out too. We are Christians. No, no. Every emerging generation is attracted to the miraculous. They're attracted to the power of God. And so where churches have begun to back away from the miracle-working Jesus, and he's left, and then they push the miracle-working believers out, all you've got is religion. All religion does is try to help you manage behavior. And that's giving up. Because the heart can be absolutely changed by the powerful word of God, according to Hebrews 4 and verse 12, and many other portions of Scripture. Let me talk to you about three groups of people. First group of people I notice in the world and in Christianity, they... They're dominated by the physical. They're governed by their passions, their appetites, their physical desires. It's all they live for. It's all they want. It's all they're after. That's the first group of people. The second group of people are dominated by their mind. They've, they want to reason everything out. They think understanding something is the key to everything. And so they live in this purely intellectual development. And the problem with that is it makes them dangerous because the development of the mind is going to cause, the, is the development of ego, it's the development of self-centeredness, it's the development of selfishness, which is why we have such a hard time having leaders in politics and in every other area, business and large corporations who no longer care about others. It's all about the mighty buck. Uh, they live, their mind, their mind dominated. Then we have the third group. Oh, and I'll, I'll just say this about the second group. For the Christians who think it's all about the mind and understanding the doctrines of the Bible, we have never seen more seminaries, Bible schools, churches, denominations, thousands of different kinds of denominations all around the world. Every town's got churches, every city's got hundreds of churches, and nary a miracle anywhere. The third group of people are those who are led and dominated by their spirit, by the spirit of God in their spirit. These are the great spiritual leaders of the church today and should be all of us. Here is where you can walk in the strength and in the power of God. God has designed the human being to be led by the Spirit of God, their conscience, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit within their spirit, then their mind comes along and serves that conscience, that morality, that, that presence of God, that Spirit of God within you with systems and structures and all that you need with your five senses that feed your mind, etc. And then you've got a body. You're supposed to renew your mind, make your body a living sacrifice, but your spirit man is to be in lead position. We are to be governed by the things of God. Every great country on the planet uh, that has brought freedom came from Judeo-Christian principles in its inception. 
And I love that because the countries that used the word of God for their legal system, they see equality with men and women. They see to protect their children, to protect your property, to protect what you make and earn, that your freedoms come from God, not the government. And the government's job is to fight and keep your freedoms that are given to you by God. The battle through the ages in the church and for the church has been between the intellect of just using the systems and the principles of the Bible, which are beautiful and brilliant, and leaving out the supernatural power of God. Miracles are something we talk about often, that we read about almost every Sunday. We have, we have, we have services to pray for people and see miracles in health. But the miracles that God does, read the Old Testament, have to do with saving cities, saving nations, raising up men and women, and doing incredible things with so few that he made Gideon, Gideon say no to tens of thousands to take 300 and go take out an entire nation's soldiers. We need to get back to the supernatural power of God. The entire plan of salvation. 1 Corinthians 1.9, 1, one of the most important things. It says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Did you know that when you give your life to Christ, it is the fellowship that is unbelievably amazing. I get to spend time with Jesus. I get to absorb his peace, his joy, his strength. How do I do that? By spending time in his word. When people spend, stop reading the word and eating the bread of life and spending time in prayer with him, they lose this powerful supernatural edge as a Christian. We no longer have this, this, um, this brilliant go get em attitude of the spirit realm and, and the word of God in our lives. We, we lose this aggressive faith that says, I'm not backing down, I'm not quitting, I'm not stopping. We've got a nation to win for Christ. We've got a place to see freedom come back and we want to build it into the future. I'm not just ho-hum and rolling on my back like your pet dog with her feet in the air, rub my belly, I give up. Where's that in Christianity? Well, you know, Leon, be real. You know what? People who say be real have never changed a thing in history. It's always people who, get up and, or who are unreasonable to the mind. They go, no, we will stand and be strong. We will vote and get involved. We will see our nation have freedom. Whenever our faith loses its aggressiveness, its excitement to get up and keep going, it'll be because you begin to back out of God's word and you begin to listen to the opinions of somebody in a tie in front of a camera on CNN or CBC or whatever you watch, which no one no longer even trusts. Where do we turn for truth? Jesus said it should always be the church. Jesus said that gates of hell won't last against his church. So what is our role? What's our responsibility as a church? We can't ignore the responsibility of taking the message of Jesus to the world. Whenever that becomes second or third, you are now in your own mental zone of trying to change. 
And you can't change a country by just putting in a leader for very long. You can't change a country by just, you know, fighting and winning one law. The only way to change a nation and get it progressing in the right direction is the gospel going to the masses. It's reaching out our arms of love and loving people. People are in crises. People don't know Christ. People are stressed out. They've had fear for two years bombarding them. The amount of depression and anxiety and things that are going on is huge. And the church isn't, shouldn't just be one of the ones fighting something in an in a only mental way. We have the gospel. We have something that'll heal you and touch you and bring you a peace so powerful that it can't be taken away, Jesus said. There's a joy so unspeakable and full of glory that you can be dancing in the face of a dragon, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and a merry heart still doeth good like a medicine. And he still prepares a table before you in the presence of enemies. What's eating your lunch? What's stressing you out? What's making you give up? What's making you say, well, come on, you know, I'm going to move to Timbuktu and get 40 acres, six hours out of the city. And oh, really? So who's going to fight for your kids and your grandkids? They're not going to stay on that farm 40 hours out of the thing. They're not going to stay in Timbuk 9 and try to hide from what's going on. We're here. This is my nation. This is your nation. We need to bring the beautiful power of Jesus to this nation. Most of us have been trained in religion to look at our weaknesses and to look at our failings like Gideon when an angel appears and goes, mighty man of valor, and he goes, oh, I'm, 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 you know, my, my father's house is the lowest in the country, and uh, I'm the lowest in my father's house. You think you've got an identity crisis? <laughs> Try Gideon. He knows that his family is the lowest. How do you come to grips or how do you even believe that my family's the lowest in the whole country? And then I'm the lowest in my, in my family. You, you, you're the snake's belly just walking through all the mud. He's a mighty man of valor. And he rises up and God brings strategies. God is attracted to movement. He stands up and he begins to move forward. We've got to understand that as long as you keep your eyes on your weaknesses and on our what we don't have, you're never going to get in into what God's got for you. In Hebrews 10, 38 and 39, listen to this. But my righteous shall live by faith. What is faith? It's what you can't see. It's what you want. And you don't have the tools to get it. But faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You get up and you declare it and believe it. That's living by faith. And then God flows through and he mixes his supernatural ability with whatever stuff you've got. If all you've got is a rod, he'll part the sea with a rod. If you've got an entire company, he'll take that company and do something great. you got an entire province and you're the leader of a province, he'll ignite that God works with what he's given. He says, my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. Verse 39. But if we are not of them that shrink back unto destruction... We are of them that have faith to the saving of the soul. 
you will not keep your mind and your emotions stable without faith. Because every crisis will put you in an anxious mode. And if that anxiety is left, it will reprogram your heart. And you will walk in constant depression. You can medicate it. You can learn methods to minimize it. They're all fine. But nothing like the incredible power of God that will go in like a scalpel and remove the wrong beliefs and instead put in the word of God that says, get up. God can do anything through something. The world has yet to see what God can do through one woman, through one man who will just get up and say, God, here I am. Use me. He didn't ask you to figure out something that, that generations can't figure out from structures and systems and governments and business. And, 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 and it's, No, he just says, stand up and let me work through you. How hard can that be? You see, he has no pleasure in those who shrink back. It's interesting to me because it says in verse 39, if you shrink back, it's very picturesque those words, if you shrink back, it says you will shrink back into destruction. Think about the children of Israel who are slaves in Egypt, and Moses comes in and says, let my people go. God parts the water, kills an entire nation's soldiers, and that country was never a world power ever again from that point and on. And then he feeds them with manna every morning, water out of rocks, quail for meat, he has a clouds all across the sky to keep them out of the sun, pillar of fire at night to warm them up, miracle after miracle. Then they get to the edge of what he's promised them, Canaan, and all the adults shrink back. Ten spies go, oh, the giants are so big. We don't have the ability to take out that giant. They are so big that we look like grasshoppers. That's a pretty huge giant in comparison. And so the Bible says they got so afraid, then they got mad, and then they were going to stone Moses. Listen to me. When you promote fear as a government, when you promote fear as a parent, when you promote fear as a leader in an organization, the second step will always be anger. Anger always follows fear. It's like getting scared walking at 4 o'clock in the morning to the kitchen and one of your kids goes, wah, in the total darkness. First thing you do is you just... can create fear to control people, but that crazy leader hasn't realized you're now going to deal with the fear. And fear has torment. And fearful people, they will kill. They will, they will blame everybody else. They will make the craziest decisions and believe the dumbest things because fear clouds judgment. It's peace that gives you creativity and the ability to rise up and do something. So if you shrink back, you're going to lose. If you retreat, you're a coward. You know what's interesting when you study David and his mighty men? There's a verse that goes, so they fought in so-and-so's bean field on the farm. And everybody left except Shammah. And Shammah fought till his hand cramped to the sword. And he won a victory. One guy. I'm thinking, why in the world are you risking your life for a bean field? 
Don't you got a wife and kids you want to go home to? You're fighting for a bean field? I've got news for you. The taking away of rights and freedoms is like old underwear. It creeps up on you. <laughs> and the things that our grandfathers fought and gave their lives for to be free and to have justice and access to truth with no censorship will let go away because, oh, okay. We don't want to shrink back. We don't want to lose what, what, what God has done in our nations, this world. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are the salt and we are the light. Salt is a preservative. If the church does not take its place and love and share wisdom and, and reach out from city to city and, and morph from this religious thing to believing in the power of God and sharing and loving and feeding and helping and opening up our arms up to people, if we don't do that, then the nation has nothing to preserve it. That's what salt does. Now the church is the light. What is light? Well, in a dark cloudy day, night, it is light. You can't see where you're going. Governments can't see where they're going. Healthcare can't see where they're going. I mean, business isn't seeing where they're going. Education isn't seeing where they're going. And you got problems on all fronts. Well, the church is the light. It's the revelation of truth. It's the wisdom that God brings through us that says, here is how to build stability. Here is how to deal with storms. Here is how to deal with the things that go on in modern society. It's so complex, pastor, that who? I'll quit. A leader doesn't need to know everything. The greatest leaders pool other great leaders with unique linear intelligence in so many areas onto a team, and, and you go. It, it's not hard. Don't let the enemy get you down. Don't let the enemy think, oh, we're going to hell in a handbasket. No, we're not. No, we're not. Shamoff fought for a bean field. What are you going to fight for? Shamoff wouldn't back off a bean field. What rights are you going to give up? It's taken me through some big problems over my years as a leader. It's just recognizing I can't shrink back. God doesn't like people that shrink back. And if I shrink back, I lose something somewhere. I lose the future. I lose what he's built. I, I lose what he's given us. The church of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God has taken ground and taken ground and taken ground over hundreds of years. We've got entire countries with freedom of religion. We've got countries with freedom and justice for all. And, and we're doing the best we can. We may not have a justice country, but we've got at least law, which is the best you can do until you get to heaven. I'm not backing down. I'm excited as ever. Ahead of us, it's one of the greatest futures. God's on the move. He's just looking for someone to do it through. And we're going to say, God, use us. Help us to raise up brilliant leaders in our next generation so they have an understanding of being led by the, their spirit first, then their mind and their intellect and the brilliant intelligences that might have to do with creativity or business or education or politics or church. But we, the church, must rise up and we must speak Someone said to me, well, Leon, like uh, religion and politics don't mix. A lot of us have been raised with these cliches. 
Are you? That doesn't make sense. I'll, I'll tell you what happens. Religion and politics don't mix when it's from politics to religion. But, but, real relationship with Jesus Christ is the only way to raise up leaders who will do what Jesus said in John 10, 10, or 10, chapter, verses 1 to 10, where he says, a good shepherd lays down his life for their sheep. Where do you find leaders like that? You're not going to find it from people who are only um, mentally uh, listening because that increases ego, that increases selfishness. But where someone gets up daily, picks up their cross and follows Jesus and dies to self and the presence of Holy Spirit works within them. Those kinds of kids and leaders and, and the, those we raise up in our schools and our churches and all the giftedness that is upon them, help them get them in the right seats out there. That is where we have an amazing win. Now, when you take a look at, in Joshua, chapter 1 is a stunning portion of scripture, because a certain era of a country comes to an end, an era of miracles, an era of God speaking to Moses, a time, a season of such stunning miracles that every country that saw them walk across the desert shook in their boots. And then Moses died. Now let's just talk about this for a minute. When you've been pulled out of slavery, and God uses a man to part a Red Sea, and God speaks to a man face to face, well, pretty close to it, on a mountain, gives him ten commandments. And when you mess with this guy, the ground opens up and swallows you. And when your own family messes with you, they literally have dealt with <clears throat> this man, Moses, when he dies, wow, a lot of fear would be in the camp for these millions of Israelis going, what in the world, Moses? And there are times when I don't know what piece of information has come to you that just scares the heaven out of you. What piece of information goes, we're done for. But that's how the whole place would feel. So in Joshua chapter 1, Let's take a look at something. It says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun. Now listen to me really closely. Generations of heroes and fighters and healers and leaders, and they die and they move on. And we admire when they're gone the legislation that they put together and, and, and what they did to, to teach. And, and we admire the heroes of the past, but every, every generation they're dying off and we need new ones to rise up. We've got to pass the batons and education to people who will fight for freedom instead of the craziness trying to come into our schools. We're going to fight for what the general country feels rather than allow all the specialty groups to finance legislation and education that's against everything we believe for, but we should probably be quiet. We need. It's like when I was in grade five. Grade five, they did two things. They gave us a Gideon Bible. And the other thing I remember is in Flanders Fields. I talked about in Flanders Fields, the poppies grow beneath the crosses, row on row, that mark our place. And in the sky, the larks still bravely singing fly. Scarce heard, 
amidst the guns below. We are the dead. Short time ago, they lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow. Loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders' fields. Then it talks about, to you, with failing hands, we throw the torch, the baton. Let it be yours now to hold it high. We fight for bean fields. We stand up for rights. We get involved in political process. We write letters. We phone. We get out. We do everything we legally can to say in this democratic system, we want to see righteous government. But then we've got to raise up leaders in healthcare. We've got to raise up leaders in education. The church of Jesus Christ needs to stand up and be counted and let your voice be heard. One of reason and love. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets, one verse says. And another one says, justice has fallen in the streets. When God speaks to Joshua, he tells him something interesting, and we're going to have to close. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead, so arise, Joshua, take his place. Get over this Jordan and all the people here and take them to the land which I'm giving them. Then he says, every place upon which the sole of your foot shall tread, I have given it to you as I have promised Moses. Now, people have used this verse to say, whatever you want in God, you just have to go fight for it. Okay, that's kind of true. But the next verse says, here's what you're going to fight for. From the wilderness and this Lebanon to the great river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great Mediterranean Sea on the west, this is your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong, confident, of good courage, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong, very courageous, that you may do according to all that my law, my Moses, my servant commanded you. Don't turn to the right, don't turn to the left. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do what's written in it. For then, you will make your way prosperous. And then, you will have success. There's something here that's very powerful. God said, it's yours, I've given it to you. You kind of go... You didn't give it to me. I got to fight for it. They didn't just walk into it. They had to fight for it. And today, you need to know something. In the new covenant, it says, fight in Timothy, the good fight of faith. Keep this aggressive faith that says, continue to, to, to Bible study and pray and raise your kids and get involved and be the salt and the light of society and love people and reach out to people and be the body of Jesus, his hands and his feet in this world. Because if we do, Jesus said, the gates of hell won't prevail against us. Against us doing what? Oh, just surviving. In we have choices to make. You shrink back, you lose. Well, I thought I could just shrink back, stay out of the radar, and everything's going to be okay. Sorry. Speak up, get involved, use wisdom, pray. Find, God will guide you in the strategies that you can do. To whom much is given, much is required. What have you got? I don't know. But whatever you have, whatever talents, finances, you've got a mouth, you can speak, you've got relationships, we are to use them for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to use them to make sure that our nation continues
to follow. Christ. I'm not expecting that the whole nation is going to be a Christian nation. You know, some of our friends, they, some pastors, they believe, well, we're just believing God for a Christian nation. Well, you'd have to die for that. I want freedom, justice, truth, no censorship. And in that kind of an environment, that's what I want for my children, my family, the future. That's what we want to build. And we know there's going to be people who believe differently. We know that they have the freedom to make their own decisions about their lives. You just don't have the freedom to make your decisions about my life. I want to challenge you today. Don't let fear in. There are so many different derivatives of fear. Fear comes from, someone's always grumbling, it's just fear-based. If you're anxious, it's fear-based. Depressed, fear-based. Worried, that's fear-based. Fear has torment. And the only way to clean it out isn't just to say, I bind you! It's to plant the incredible, powerful, stunning Word of God in your heart. And then it begins to grow. The Bible says a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. It didn't say a merry mind. It didn't say merry situations. It didn't say Mary's. You could be in the middle of a storm, but a merry heart would do the heart work. It does good like a medicine. He'll prepare a table before you in the very presence of your enemies. And if death is freaking everybody out, it's just a shadow for you because he takes you through the valley of the shadow of death. What's the shadow of death? It's not even the real thing. There's my shadow. I mean, you can punch it. You can stomp it. <laughs> it's just a shadow. Let's get back to faith. Let's get back to realizing Jesus is the high priest of our confession, not our shrinkage. He's the high priest of what we're saying with our mouth, not with what we're hoping with our heart. It requires us praying the word, declaring this is our camp, speaking this way in the streets and the concourses where wisdom is crying aloud. We are the church. Jesus promised nothing will stop the church of Jesus Christ, which stands for, first of all, the freedom of salvation and knowing Jesus. And having a relationship and fellowshipping with him. But then after that, 2 Peter chapter 1 says, All of these promises have been delivered to you. You are qualified for them, which is to live in health, to live in prosperity, to give, to, to have joy and peace in all your borders and all your generations of the thousandth generation being blessed. All these promises are ours. Why do we listen to the guys who make $3 million writing a book on the end times who can't even read hardly? And we're all petrified about the end times. You know, well, Leon, we're just going to grab my rifle and, and, and 50 cartridges and we're going to go shoot some quail and I'm going to live in the foothills and until uh, Jesus comes back because we know how this ends. And I went to one guy. This, this guy's talking to me. He says, how does it end? <laughs> you know. I said, oh, I know, but I don't think you know. Well, I mean, only a remnant are going to remain. And just before we're all beheaded, Jesus is going to come and rescue us. Oh. So actually, the new covenant says, Jesus says, all authority and power is given to me in heaven and earth. Now, you go into the world, share the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. And he didn't go, oh, it's not going to work, but have a good try. 
Make disciples of nations. Not, not maybe one or two in like the next 2,000 years, but it'd be a good exercise in, come on, what is with us Christians? We're the salt, we're the light. Get up with joy, get up recognizing that of course there's going to be battles, there's going to be skirmishes, there's going to be things going on. And while the enemy is, it's like Goliath when he says, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to feed your body to the birds. And all the soldiers are sitting there with their knees knocking. How's he going to feed our body to the birds? He's going to get to cut off our ears and he's going to cut us into peace. And they just start to thrive and meditate on his words. And then, you know, how would he cut all of us up? And would there be enough vultures to really feed on the entire Israeli army? And yeah, and then he said that he's going to... You get somebody on the news, or you get some premier or prime minister or who's somewhere across Canada, blah, 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 blah. And you go, oh, really? Listen, things change. And the Bible has a word that I like. All through it, it says, and suddenly. So that means have a short-term plan and have a long-term plan. Short-term, God will guide you, lead you, bless you in the midst of everything failing around you. A thousand can go down at your side, ten thousand at your right hand. And his promise is sure to you that he will bless you and walk you. Whatever you lose, he'll replace. Whatever isn't working, he's got a new way. The door is closed, he's got an open window. Just recognize the promises of God for you individually. And then recognize you can't just look after yourself. What are you going to do for the church of Jesus Christ, for the future of the church from nation to nation? What will we stand for? How many bean fields will we give up? And when will we wake up and go, Jesus is so amazing and the church of Jesus Christ is so incredible that I'm going to rise up and I'm going to enjoy the faith, the peace, the passion, the goodness of God in the land of the living. And my merry heart is going to be a continual feast in all that I do. And I'm not going to raise my kids in fear. I'm not going to raise my kids to say, well, you know, you know, no, we let them know we are the church. We're called to preserve our nation. We're called to bring light to our nation. We're here to love our nation. We're not here to hate. We're not here to get angry. We're not here to divide families. We're not here to pound our fist on the table and scream, you know, obscenities as though that's going to change anybody. The presence and the power of God is upon you as a born-again believer. Get up and speak with wisdom. Open your arms to the hurting and the lost, the struggling, and say, hey, it's a rough time. How can I help you? Love is so powerful that no nation has ever stood before it. Love is so amazing that every evil emperor has always fallen. Someone said to me, well, Leon, I mean, they're going to have a world dominated. Read your Bible. And if you, anybody that did quote unquote dominate the world, like, and I don't even know, but I, I'm, I'm pretty close to on. I mean, what, Alexander the Great, he conquered the world. Yeah, he lived till 35. So what was that, six months of conquered and he kept it? Like, do you really think there's any man out there that's going to be able to take the world on and, well, the devil, we got God. Like, everything, every argument you use from the Bible is, well, you know, prof no, you, the prophecy is so messed up with people who take it and mess it up. Jesus said, go make this earth a footstool for me. He said, you're the head and not the tail. He said that you are above and not beneath. He said the light would grow brighter and brighter. Who's the light? The church. That means the church has to grow stronger and stronger for the light to grow brighter and brighter. If we are the preservation, we're not a light hid under a bushel. We are the, we're like a city on a hill. 
We're the nation of God, walking in love, walking in wisdom. We're not giving in to deception. We're not giving in to liars and false things. There's a brilliance upon God's presence upon us. Let's get up and let's build with a trowel in one hand and the sword of the Spirit in the other hand. And let's watch Jesus do miracles in your life and in his church in our nation. Praise you, Lord. Father, I pray today that every bit of fear that the enemy would like to just invade our lives with just dissipates. And from this message today, I pray that Spirit of God, you would touch hearts. You would awaken hope. You'd awaken the faith within us. You'd cause us to have a continual feast. Your joy would be so unspeakable and full of glory. Your peace would ground us and stay with us so that we can smile and laugh and raise our families, even in the midst of working on things and changing things. Father, we thank you that in this room and everyone listening to us around the world, let hope arise. Let God arise. His enemies be scattered. Let Father Wisdom arise in the midst of all the craziness. Let Father Wisdom and leadership and every person and every family, I just pray this incredible peace and we speak it over our city, we speak it over our province, we speak it over our nation. In the mighty name of Jesus and everybody in agreement shouted amen. Amen, amen and amen.